Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. And good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Maria Shaleos with you, along with Governor Gary Herbert. Governor, so glad to have you in studio with us today. So many important things going on in the news that we need you to weigh in on. Uh, one of those, uh, the biggest thing that's really on the minds of Utahns right now is the loss of the University of Utah student, Lauren McCluskey, who was shot this week. And and all of the turmoil surrounding what happened to her and how victims of domestic abuse maybe should be treated in our state. I'm going to let you start out with a statement about Lauren. Well, let me just echo the sentiments of many. Uh, our hearts are broken. Uh, you know, our condolences to um, the McCluskey family. Uh, for the loss, this is a tragic loss. It's a brutal murder. And, uh, uh, you know, I know that the University of Utah community, uh, her teammates, uh, her student colleagues there, all are mourning. I know they had a vigil last night. But the people of Utah are mourning, too, and we su- send our support to the McCluskey family. That being said, there are probably more questions than there are answers right now. But we're going to get answers to the questions. I've contacted our... Commissioner of Public Safety, Jess Anderson. Uh, he's going to be working with the Department of Corrections and Board of Pardons and Paroles. Uh, he's going to be working with the University of Utah law enforcement people. I have a lot of confidence in President Watkins that they'll do an internal investigation and find out what the facts are. Uh, we need to find out what the truth, not the rumor, not the innuendo, but what are the facts. And uh, I know Commissioner Anderson will do the same thing. We'll work with other law enforcement agencies, I'm sure, are going to be involved, whether it be the county sheriff's department or the Salt Lake City Police Department. But all law enforcement work together to get the facts. We're going to ask for a review and an investigation and then find out what went right or what went wrong. And I think there's mistakes that appears, at least, that have been made, and we need to make sure that we correct those mistakes and then make sure we do everything we can to make sure this doesn't ever happen again. Right. Governor, describe for us what you hope to learn. Well, again, it's it's puzzling to me how did a fellow with his track record uh, of crime end up being a security guard? You know, uh, what, where was the background check or where, why was there not a background check? Uh, if, in fact, there's been reports of domestic violence and harassment, why was there not a follow-up? And, again, I don't want to point any blame because, again, this is somewhat speculative right now. We need to find out what the facts are and then react to what the truth is and then take action. 
So I expect we'll get a full report. We certainly are going to ask for it on the state level, and I expect that we'll get one, and it's going to take us probably two or three weeks to find out what the truths are and then what are the recommendations for uh, change or solutions or Again, I again I don't know what's going to come. I don't want to speculate mm-hmm. on somebody's going to lose their job over this, but uh, that could happen. Sure. Uh, at the surface, it it looks like Lauren McCluskey did everything right. She reported the situation to the authorities, told them what she was experiencing, and for parents, that's a very scary situation uh, to think about because if your kid does everything right and they still <clears throat> end up, you know, not with us anymore, that's frightening. Is there anything in the law from your perspective? that could or should be changed when it comes to handling domestic abuse cases? Well, in this particular case, at least what I know of it, I I just wish the laws had been enforced that we have on the books. It appears that maybe they have not been, and, and process and procedure has not been followed. So that's the first mistake. I understand human error. I mean, none of us are perfect, and so mistakes are made. But we need to find out if it's institutional as part of the process or if it's individual, bad judgment. You know, what's happened here, I don't know. But um, but it's it's a concern, and we need to get to the bottom of it, and we will. The other big story of the day or of the week, truly, has been these crude pipe bombs that have been found at various uh, high-profile uh I don't want to say politicians, uh, public people, uh, Democrats specifically. And I think it speaks to the political climate we're experiencing. Speak to that, Governor. What do you see is happening? What can we do as a society maybe to change what is going on in the political climate? Well, we certainly ought to change. We should change. The The question is, well, will we change? And there's certainly a lack of civility uh, people are very emotional about their politics, and that emotion sometimes takes them in directions they ought not to go. And it's been, you know, we, we kind of talk about the ancient times, uh, you know, in the early far- times of our country. But we had a, a, two, a senator and a congressman by the name of Brooks and Sumner, where Brooks came in and just took it to Sumner with his cane on the floor of the Senate in, the, in, in D.C. So we've had violence in the past, you know. Um, and we, it kind of, you know, ebbs and flows, I expect, as we get emotional. But this rise that we've seen here now is really despicable. And it's all of us need to take pause and say, is our rhetoric adding to it? Uh, are we treating people with respect? Uh, are we tolerant of different points of view? Or is it my way or the highway? I mean, we see that all the time. And... Uh, you know, I, I again, I, I think the rhetoric in Washington, D.C. needs to be toned down. That's the kind of the heart and soul of some of this uh, problem. Uh, the partisanship is heightened, and it's on both sides. I mean, we have people going into restaurants and getting harassed and, and chased out, yelled at, and in time that they it's not an appropriate place or location. And so, again, both sides of the aisle, I think, are, are to blame. And uh, we all need to just you know, count 10 and, and see if we can't dial it back uh, about 10 notches because it's it's out of control. And this is really disappointing. Utahns are filling out their election ballots, and we have some concerned Utahns on the line that want to talk with you. Let's go first to Provo, and that's where we find Al. And good afternoon, Al. What is your question for the governor? Well, good afternoon, Maria, and good afternoon, Governor. Hey, Al, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Anyhow, basically, I did want to touch on a topic that's in the news. Anyhow, it's been debated by a lot of people uh, whether the Utah governor, whether it's you or somebody else, uh, should have the right to call special sessions of the legislature. And basically, I support that that uh, power. I think it's an inherent power of the governor. I think it can uh, a good governor can kind of uh, calm the 
uh, herd mentality, so to speak, and, and get the legislature back in track on important issues. And my question is, in your opinion, is there enough separation of powers, and, and how do you feel about that issue in general? You know, I think there is, in fact, what we would call bracket creep. We use that for income tax. Uh, and we probably have encroachment of the executive branch onto the legislative branch and vice versa. Uh, I've talked with the leadership of the House, particularly those that will be incoming here in a couple of weeks, uh, that we ought to sit down and talk about issues that we can work on together. And one of them is, in fact, let's make sure that the legislature does the legislative work and the executive branch does the executive uh, work and they don't cross over. Uh, the separation of powers is part of our founding in this country. I mean, the separation of powers is an important thing. And the Constitution of Utah, the founders understood the, the need to have a separation of powers. And frankly, we've worked very well for since our beginning. And uh, we've never really had a time when the legislature and the governor couldn't get together and if they needed to have a special session, call one. It really is only maybe once or twice in our history that there's ever been a problem. Uh, one last year when uh, we didn't call them in a special session to change the election laws because we didn't have consensus. So uh, it's kind of if it's not broken, there's no need to fix it. And I think that's where we're at. And let me just hasten to add, I think we have a great legislature, by the way. We have really good men and women representing the people of Utah in a very professional way. So this is not a big deal, I think, between us. It's maybe uh, it's an important issue. Certainly a very significant issue, but uh, I'm not going to let that get in the way of us working together, and I'm sure they're not going to do that either. Okay, very good. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. Al, thanks for your call today. And uh, you are listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor. The number to call if you have a question, 801-575-8255, or you can text your questions to 57500. We'll be right back following a quick break. What's your question for Governor Herbert? This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert, and we are taking your calls at 801-575-8255 or KSL Talk. You can also text us your questions at 57500. And, Governor, right now we have on the line John from Ogden. Hi, John. How can we help you today? Hey, John. Yeah, hey, thanks for taking my call, Governor, and thanks for answering our questions. You bet. Um, I got a question concerning Prop 2, uh, the medical marijuana uh-huh. bill. If it passes, which it looks like it will, can you give us, the voters that are going to pass this, a guarantee that when it goes to the legislator and they try to tweak it, that they are going to keep in their access and pain management into that? I have been prescribed so many painkillers over the past 15, 20 years that it ate a hole in my stomach, and I cannot take them anymore. I can't take any pills of any kind, and cannabis has been the only thing that gives me relief. And I have to worry about going to jail for this medicine. The surrounding states have all done this. They pretty much recreationalized it. I just want to know if we're going to keep that relief for Utah in there, because it has been proven, and there are studies that it takes over... 4,000 prescription drugs, cannabis will Mm -hmm. help relieve those symptoms of those medications. And are we going to just throw the, or are we going to allow the prescription drug companies and the people benefiting to throw out this propaganda that we hear, which is straight lies 
against this bill. Well, John, uh, I'm sorry about your pain. Uh, life is tough enough without having chronic pain. The thing that's bringing people together on this is, in fact, that very issue, though. Uh, everybody agrees that if we have a medicine out there, and I, we talk about medical marijuana or cannabis used as a medicine, the main thought about that is to help alleviate pain and suffering. And so there are some issues with the initiative itself, which even the proponents say need to be fixed. And so uh, that's part of the compromise. But the, at, the, at the core of the compromise is making sure that in a reasonable and rational way, there is access to medical cannabis to help alleviate pain and suffering. And how that's going to be distributed through a, a controlled way like pharmacists. Uh, prescribed by doctors are going to go through four hours of training to be able to do that is going to provide us a system where you're going to have access to cannabis to help you with your pain and doctors will be able to prescribe it as it were it's not really it's going to be a recommendation rather than a prescription because we don't have fda approval of it as a medicine which is another another uh, issue which i'm uh, really disappointed about our washington dc people but it'll be there available for you to use for chronic pain and that's going to be the core of it uh, we'll probably, if it passes like you think it will, and I think it probably will too, uh, we'll have to wait and see for the election. But uh, we'll come back in a special session, protect the good parts that you've talked about for cannabis as a medicine, and take away the parts that uh, lack of control and oversight, some of the technical corrections to make sure that it fits with our existing statutes. Uh, law enforcement have their ability to do what they need to do in an appropriate way. If it doesn't pass, we're going to still come back into special session, and I'm going to call them back in, and we'll end up creating legislation that really mirrors the compromise that's made by the opponents and proponents coming together. Again, at the core of that will be access to uh, medical cannabis to alleviate pain and suffering. Okay. I'm, I'm more worried about access because if it goes just into pharmacies, then you're going to make the pharmacist hold a doctor there to prescribe it. No, no, they won't. No, they won't. That's not. You're going to be able to have it. It'll be like if you wanted to go get a medicine, all the medicines you've had in the past, you're going to walk into the pharmacist. There'll be some private pharmacists out there, too, along with government-run pharmacists. But you're going to be able to walk in and say, here's my recommendation from my doctor, and they're going to fill your prescription in a, you know, a controlled way. They're not going to say, here's an unlimited supply. They'll control the quality, but you'll also be controlling the quality. So you're going to be able to have access. That's not going to be a problem. In fact, it'll be probably better access because our local health departments will be involved in that in all of our 29 counties. Okay, great. As long as we look at the surrounding states, what has worked, and, and let's be smart about it. I, I agree. I agree. And, and by the way, for those listening out there, we have a compromise. We have the core parts of it. But that doesn't mean it can't be tweaked some more and needs to be tweaked some more. So there's some concerns, and we'll learn as we go. This is not going to be one and done. This is going to be get it done that we can all agree on. And as we learn, as we go forward over the next year or two, we might make some tweaks here and there to make it even better. Awesome. Let's hope we can take away everybody's penalty, too, for possession of it in the past of medicine. That would really be nice, too. All right. Thank you. Appreciate your call. John, thank you so much for your call today. We have uh, at least a half dozen people, Governor, who will have questions on Prop 1. Uh, Let's go to John in Salt Lake City. John, what is your question? Hey, Governor. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. First of all, thanks for doing a great job. You're uh, you're awesome. Well, thank you. My question is on the uh, the gas tax for the schools. Question number um, one, they call it. Question, question number one, mm-hmm. the big one. Uh, my sister's a school teacher for 30 years, 
I talked to her about it. She said, it's a ripoff. We don't get our supplies. We don't get our salaries. The money goes to administrative. And it's just, she's going to vote no on it. So I was like really conflicted. Here's a school teacher that has <laughs> yeah. no interest in it. It is, I just don't know what to do. Well, vote for it. I'm going to vote for it, and I'll tell you why. Uh, one, this was really in a compromise, an agreement made with the legislature and what was called the Our Schools Now movement, which wanted to put a shot in the arm, as it were, give additional resources, money, uh, particularly to put it into the local classrooms. This is not going to go to administration. It will obviously go to the local school districts, but designed to go right into the classroom. And um, so it's not a matter of are they going to do it. They've agreed to do it. We, the, but the compromise said we'll put it out to the people, which is what they were going to do in the original proposal on raising the income tax. The agreement was gasoline tax is probably less impactful, on uh, detrimentally impactful on our economy. We want the economy to continue to grow because that's the goose laying the golden eggs. That's why we're being able to have additional surplus money as it is. So, uh, again, this will is an agreement being made. It will go to the local uh, classrooms. Your uh, relative uh, as a teacher will get more money uh, to, to help spend, and it could be on teacher salaries, smaller classroom sizes, more technology in the classroom to help with the teaching environment. And so the benefit's going to be right in the classroom. That's the intent of this uh, question one. And by the way, it's I know it's a gasoline tax. Some of that money, 25%, will go into maintaining and modifying and improving and building roads. Um, but we've been robbing out of our general fund for roads in the past. We have not raised the gasoline tax to compensate for the loss of purchasing power to inflation for 20 years. So it needs to be adjusted anyway. Just good policy would dictate that. And right now, uh, by the way, you'll, with this increase, we'll still be the lowest uh, uh, as a percentage of your income will go to the gasoline tax in our state's history since the gasoline tax was implemented in 1929. So it's a small adjustment. It's about $36 a year on average, uh, and but it'll be directly going in, not to administration, but into the classroom All at right. the local level. John, thank you so much for your call. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. The number to call if you'd like to ask a question, 801-575-8255. That is KSL Talk. Or you can text us your questions at 57500. We'll be right back.